Oye, I'm Julian Montes, one of the producers for The Well Podcast, or in this case, first-time narrator, long-time mixer. Anyways, we're 16 episodes into this show, and we're finally sitting down with one of the co-authors of the book that was a catalyst for this whole podcast. Join Chris and Bree in conversation with KLC's Julia Fabris McBride, Chief Civic Leadership Development Officer, and again, co-author of When Everyone Leads. In this episode, Julia shares the purpose behind the book as well as her experience of writing and publishing a national bestseller. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Julia Fabris McBride. I work at the Kansas Leadership Center. I've been on staff here since 2010 and actually came into the system to train coaches back in 2008. I'm now the Chief Leadership Development Officer and co-author of When Everyone Leads, How the Toughest Challenges Get Seen and Solved. So you're guiding us into our next question. Tell us how the book came to be. If KLC is 16 and a half years old, This book was easily 14 years in the conception stage and then about less than a year in the imagining, writing, outlining, editing stage. It was an effort by Ed O'Malley, my co-author and founder of KLC, and I to put the why behind everything that we teach. Why do you want to exercise leadership? And why this way? Why leadership is an activity and it's available to everyone. And in fact, we need everyone if we're going to make progress on big, daunting 21st century challenges. What have the last six months and more look like for you? August of 2021 was when we sat down the street at Homegrown with our publisher, Todd Satterston from Bard Press, and began outlining the book. We spent about three days at KLC coming up with the outline, coming up with the basics of the title. And I think at the end of those three days, back in August or September of 2021, Todd wrote what's on the back cover of the book. So Todd wrote, this book is not about leadership, or at least the way we normally think about it, and the paragraphs that came after that. So he wrote those. We had a sense of where we were going. And then when I think of co-authoring this book, I always think of me in my apartment at my stand-up desk in my kitchen, and Ed half a block away, I think in his third-floor office. We set aside every morning for two and a half months to write, and we kind of passed stuff back and forth. So between about September 1st and December 15th, between us, we wrote 70,000 words, sent them off to Todd, and then he came back with some feedback right after the holidays, and we cut that baby down to (laughs) 30,000 words now. 
I think in the beginning there was a struggle to figure out who was going to write what and how do we do that. But once we found a stride, I just remember it very fondly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did it feel whenever you first read his portions and he first read your portions? Often it was Ed outlining things and then me coming behind with examples, mm-hmm. say that I'd heard in programs or that I was drawing and adapting from people's leadership challenges Mm -hmm. from the last few years. So sometimes I would go, oh, what a great list of ways, for instance, to lower the heat. Mm -hmm. And Ed would outline, and he'd come up with two or three ways, and then I'd add four more. It was almost always inspiring to get what I'd get from Ed. Mm -hmm. And I think Ed would probably look at my stuff and think, There's something really great in here. I'm going to cut those four sentences and draw that out because sometimes I would get stuff back from Ed and he would have made my ramble concise. It seems extremely collaborative. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit there were a few chapters that we went back and forth on. They are not in the book. If we didn't feel like we had the idea baked, we didn't put it in the book. So what has your schedule looked like since the book came out? I should be able to rattle off an answer, but this week I'll be with the Kansas Children's Service League talking to them about this idea. I'll also be working on an article for a national magazine for family physicians. Last week I was talking about these ideas with somebody from Western Conservation. I got to have a conversation about the book with the executive director of the UK Supreme Court. And then I went across the Westminster Abbey Courtyard and talked to the woman who's the director of the Westminster Abbey Institute about these ideas. Have people been resonating with the ideas? Yeah, I think so. I just got an email from a colleague in Australia who taught a workshop based on the book and particularly on the chapter about avoiding the allure of the quick fix. And he reported back that the ideas really resonated with this group. It's fun to talk to people about what does and doesn't resonate. And what he said was that people really got stuck on, and I've experienced this too, the idea that we don't have time for this. The nature and structure of our relationship with time and this big assumption that doing more is always better. So when you talk about, okay, with adaptive challenges, we need to slow down, we need to engage people throughout the organization, the bank, the community, whatever it is, in diagnosing the situation, well, then you go, we we don't have time for that. We want the instant fix, but don't realize that it took years of whatever to get to where we are right now, where it might take either that time or longer to make things better. And we just want it done as soon as possible. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mm Bree. I try to build in to every speaking engagement, even if it's just 20 minutes, some time for people to think about what matters to them and to let what you just said Mm -hmm. sink in. One of the things that's super exciting is to see a whole organization or the top 50 people in the organization walk in to a presentation by me and to see them having tabbed the book Mm. 
And to see a whole system or organization talking about how do we focus on what's most important and to be acknowledging to one another the way we're working right now isn't going to get us the results Mm -hmm. that we want. But it's kind of an interesting push and pull because one other thing about having a book in the leadership sector is you're trying to get people to buy in to your idea. You want them to see it as a fix, but you don't want them to see it as the quick fix. I feel like we all want Ozempic. Is that what it's called? And they probably want it in other places. But that's so interesting because the quick fix, once they get off of the Ozempic, because you can't stay on it for a long period of time, but once you get off of it, you're going to gain that weight back, but worse. So what does that mean for quick fixes in general? It's like like they made an analogy for technical (laughs) solutions that we could use. Not to keep harping on that same idea, but I came from that background of a wrestler and as a fighter. We know a little bit about how to drop weight quickly, but doing that for a long time, and making the connection to doing quick fixes for a long time just sets you up for so many problems down the road. Mm. It's not good for longevity. Yeah. You're making me think about another collaborator on this project who was Pat Burns. The drawings, the cartoons that are in the book, and the one that always gets a great reaction is the one for the chapter on quick fixes, and it's these two people flying in in the helicopter with a plan Yeah, with a Band-Aid, we use that for closing your leadership edge now. Yeah, and we can put that up Mm -hmm. and people immediately get it. The big giant Band-Aid to fix the smoldering crater that has (laughs) emerged. Yes. I'm happy that you elevated the drawings because they do add a lot to the book. That drawing and then the other one that comes into mind is the warehouse one where things are piling up. And I yeah, think the it's blob like, in the corner yeah, with yeah, the yeah. tooth and the with person the tooth, walking exactly. by saying, it's only grown one tooth. Right, right. It's no it. big deal. Mentioning collaborators, you had an editor, a publisher, Todd, you had writing with Ed, mm-hmm. you had Pat, but you also had, in terms of rolling out the book and promoting it, the whole organization behind it. How did that feel? And how did that feel in contrast to past things you've worked on? It's been great. I'm also thinking of Claudia Amaro, who translated the book into Spanish. We worked with her much earlier in the process than we did, say, with Your Leadership Edge, where translation came after the book was bound and out in the world. And then this podcast is such a (laughs) fabulous example of, I think, KLC's organizational success in saying, changing the way people think about leadership is an adaptive challenge. This book is a tool. I don't remember all the statistics, but I think the general concept is there are a lot of new books that come out every year. There are a few books that sell a lot of copies and a lot of books that sell very little copies. So what can you tell us about the success of this book and how do you define success? I think a success for this book means it's out there in lots of different communities. The book is just the jumping off point. So yes, I want thousands and thousands of these books in people's hands, playing in people's ears on the audiobook as they drive to and from work. You've pointed out a lot of different processes of writing this book. You had writing it, you had editing it, there was helping with the 
production aspect of it with Todd. With the marketing aspect, we we did that a lot in-house in KLC. And then you also recorded the audiobook version and you're doing all of the speaker requests. What has been your favorite part of all of that? Oh, I loved doing the audiobook. <laughs> I did. I mean, I'm an actor by training. I've been on the stage a lot. I narrated a couple of documentaries a long time ago. And then for close to 20 years, I haven't been on stage or been in movies or anything like that. So to be in that sound studio just outside Portland, Oregon for four days... Personally, it felt like the merger of a couple of important parts of myself. Is there anything that's been disappointing throughout this process? Yeah, I kind of wish that there'd be just one big aha of, okay, we get it. We're going to have to apply the ideas here to our biggest challenges. This whole country Hmm. has to take the ideas in this book, and eliminate homelessness. I mean, that's the other thing. If you start traveling around the United States post-COVID, you notice in Portland, in Missoula, in Wichita, in Chicago, in Lawrence, Mm -hmm. homelessness is out of control. In my wildest dreams, people everywhere would pick up the ideas in this book and something drastic would change. Mm -hmm. Now, do I expect that to have happened in the six or five months since this book launched, no. But I wish for something like that to happen because of this book. What's the gap? Is it time? And do you feel like you've won the argument that everyone can lead? Have we won the argument? No. I get stuck when people say, what about my boss who is never going to get this? I don't have a good answer for that one. What about the person who thinks authority can solve it all or has succumbed to this pressure that as the person in authority, I have to have the answers and you have to do what I say? I don't have a good answer for those people other than can you work around or is this the best place for you to be giving your life energy? And I want a better answer than that. Yeah, that seems like an externalization of the problem. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not me. It's this other person who's in my way doing all these things. And we all have those people, regardless of where we work, that get in our way. But how can you change yourself to become more effective in those situations? Yes, so that's brilliant. So it, maybe it's a development thing. I think that's the thing. It's a personal, spiritual development thing to say, I can be the change I want. And I believe that if I authorize myself to lead, I authorize myself to ask good questions. I authorize myself to empower anybody that I mentor or supervise, the world will change. The skills aren't hard. The courage and will to do what the book calls us to do is hard. So how do you combine the personal stuff there with the focus on a challenge like homelessness or hunger that could really change the lives of lots of people? If listeners could only take one nugget from this book, what would you suggest people experiment with first? Ask 
curious questions about the things that matter to you and ask them of people who think wildly different than you do. Ask them generously, ask them from a place of love, and really get curious about what the thing that matters to you looks like to other people. You've done a lot of interviews and a lot of podcasts. I feel like I've listened to ones where there's someone like, welcome to Extraordinary Thoughts with Chris Green. <laughs> Today we're going to share our extraordinary thoughts with That's a special guest. And like, like what, what have you wanted to say yeah. that no one's given you the chance oh. to say? Like, what? what have I wanted to say? Oh, Julia know, turns the thing, in a full circle. No, the circle. thing that I have wanted to say is, look guys, I don't have the answer. Ed O'Malley doesn't have the answer. We have to figure this out together. And I think that's the thing about all these podcasts and all these speaking engagements. They want you to have the answer. But I just want to be able to say, I don't have the answer. We put out a way forward and a call to action and readers and listeners of this podcast have to figure it out. Thanks for listening to season one of When Everyone Leads the Podcast. We had fun and learned a lot this season, and we hope you did too. We're going to take a break. So stay in touch with us on Instagram at When Everyone Leads, or connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook at Kansas Leadership Center, or on Twitter at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward. to respond to that is always what a great question chris there it is <laughs> what a great we, question chris. we just get, talked yeah. about it on the board or on the border i keep on doing that on the balcony someone's hungry for uh on the border Mexican yeah <laughs> but we were just talking about how one of my favorite parts in every single episode is whenever chris asks a question and somebody's like oh that is such a great question chris and then they do what you did lean back in their chair a little bit and then think look up and think <laughs>